1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, we'll look at verses 6 through 9, and we'll be uh, looking at a few other places tonight. If you would stand with me as we pay honor to the reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 through 9, and we now hear God's word read into our ears. Now as a concession... Not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as my, I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And this is God's word to his people. We thank him for keeping it for us. And let's open once more with prayer this evening. Father, this is a topic that unfortunately has been missed by both the church and by the world. But it's strangely enough and should not surprise us, but it does at times uh, surprise us that it is included in your word that you have a plan for people as they live their single lives. And Father, we need to redeem this according to your word. So that means we need to redeem it from wrong attitudes in the church and wrong attitudes in the culture at large. And the only way that we can do that is not by me being crafty or cunning or uh, me being funny or, or whatever the expectation might be tonight. But the only way that we can correct these misunderstandings of what this looks like is by your word correcting us. So help us as we submit ourselves to your word that it would do the work of correcting us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated tonight. Enjoying the good life means submitting to God's standards for relationships. Let's say that again. Enjoying the good life means submitting to God's standards for relationships. Never has there been a time in the life of the church at large and the culture at large where they agree on a principle, but for two separate reasons. Singleness is viewed both by the church at large, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here, and I think I have enough friends, and I've read enough and studied enough this week that would affirm this, but that the church at large and the culture at large both view singleness as a bad thing, but for completely different reasons. And let me just say right now that I could have preached this sermon six years ago as a fresh new college pastor, but I don't think it would have the same emphasis, empathy, compassion, and uh, view that it does now, having experienced six years of watching students go home around this time of the year to be questioned as to why they're not in relationships, why they haven't married, why they aren't dating, what's wrong with them, those kind of things, and even worse, which for the sake of my own spirit and your own encouragement, are just unnecessary to share tonight. Singleness is viewed as bad in the culture because if you agree with the Bible's view of singleness, that being single means that you will not sleep with someone who you're not married to, if you uh, will not give yourself to sexual exploitation of some kind, then you have restricted your identity and you are living a sad and pitiful life. If you have the view that the Bible takes on singleness, the culture looks at you and says singleness is a bad thing if you live 
in that vein. In the church, the idea that everyone should be married because if you aren't, there must be something wrong with you or you just don't want to grow up. That can sometimes be the attitude in the life of a local church. While the latter may be true, and certainly there is evidence to suggest that your generation, more than any other generation, my generation as well, is prolonging uh, adolescence and singleness as a means to live a hedonistic lifestyle where you just basically do whatever you want. That isn't the case with everyone who remains single. And to make blanket statements about people who are saying that they're immature or won't grow up or why won't you date or what's wrong with you is less than helpful, especially when God's word specifically addresses this issue. If we're going to live the good life, then that means that every area of our life and every season of our life needs to be lived under the auspices of 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that doesn't mean that singleness is a waiting period or a holding pattern or a time where you just kind of get to do whatever you want with no strings attached. If that's the way that we're going to approach singleness, then friend, and I mean this truly, friend, you need to read the Bible. And I am convinced, probably more than I've ever been, that the reason why we struggle and have so many bad marriages is because we have done such a poor job explaining to people that rushing into marriage to avoid being single is the most dangerous thing you can do other than flirting with doctrine that will take your souls to hell. There's a reason why divorce rates in the church are at the same level as they are in the world around us. And it's not because we just stopped loving each other. It's because we never had a vision of God's idea for marriage while we were single. I didn't want to count because I would be far too discouraged and it would ruin my day. And maybe just because of 2020, I should have done it because it's been a tough year, but I didn't want to do it. But I thought Jeff and I could sit in our house and get on each other's Facebook accounts and scroll through our friends of all the people we went to Bible college that took bad advice about getting married because they weren't going to be able to get jobs or people weren't going to let them serve in ministry that are now divorced and remarried and some divorced, remarried and divorced and remarried again because no one ever said to them, marriage and singleness are not thing. They're not two competing things like singleness is bad and marriage is good. Marriage has highs and lows and singleness has highs and lows. And as Sam Alberry said, well, as someone who has consciously chosen to remain single, I will take the, lows of being single over the lows of being married. And there are a lot of reasons that led him to make that decision, but I want to reframe the narrative tonight. And what's interesting is, especially in a mixed setting like this, because, you know, we've had some things change inside of our ministry where now we have some of you that are sitting in here on Wednesday night that are married, and there are married couples that help us lead in our college ministry. 
you might find yourself sitting here as a freshly married couple or as a seasoned married couple and think, I don't need to hear anything about singleness, but I sure am glad that the college pastor is covering this. I'm glad that he got here. Here's the harsh reality. Uh, You will probably spend the majority of your life single. Lord willing, we're trying the best we can, but time takes a long time. We, Jess and I now have been married for eight years. I still have spent 14 more years of my life being single than I have being married. And unless the Lord takes us at the exact same time, one of us will return to being single while the other one goes to glory. And we'll have to live out yet another significant portion of their life as a single person. And if as per our premarital agreement that Jess would die first and I would die second, I am not dating again. I will cloister myself in a study at night and eat stuff that Jess said I can't. (laughs) And I will play a lot of golf, but I will not date again. And I will explain why (laughs) at some level tonight. So, the first thing we have to do, if we're going to reframe this conversation, and and I'm going to try and reframe this two ways tonight, and you're going to find that these two sermons are very similar in their structure. So, we'll talk first tonight about the benefits of singleness, and not next Wednesday, but two Wednesdays from now, we'll begin by talking about the benefits of marriage. But Tonight, let's talk about the benefits of singleness. You may say, David, you obviously have forgotten that there are no benefits to being single. And I'm going to make the argument that the reason why I've forgotten is because you never knew it. And, and you might find that to be offensive, but look down at verse 32 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about the worldly things, how to please your husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul seems to highlight that one of the main benefits of being single is an unwavering devotion to the Lord. Single people who are Christ followers can have a level of devotion to the Lord that married people cannot have. And he says that very clearly in these verses. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, before I go any further, there are some brothers and sisters who will read these passages thinking 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 through 9, and then verses 32 through 35, and they'll say, see, Paul says that singleness is to be preferred to being married, and that's not the case. Paul understands that there are challenges to being married, and there are challenges to being uh, single. There are benefits that come from being married, and there are benefits that come from being single. Both are to be esteemed. One is not to be looked down upon from the other. So married people are not to look at single people and go, oh, you poor sap, you're single. And single people are not supposed to look at married people and go, I wish that I could be there because until I'm there, my life will not be fulfilled. But what Paul does make expressly clear in these verses is that the Christian who is 
single is free from anxieties. Now, you read that and you go, yeah, right, Paul, what, like, what world are you living in? I've got plenty of anxieties. He's not talking about anxieties that you're anxious about. By the way, First Thessalonians says that you should be anxious for nothing, but with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to the Lord. So if you are anxious tonight, you have an advocate. It's just free. That's extra. That's not about being single. I'm just throwing that out there. You can pocket that and use it for time some other time. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. But the question becomes, are you actually anxious about the things of the Lord? Single people, again, have a, can have a level of devotion to the Lord that married people cannot. More flexibility to serve in the life of a local church. More flexibility to go on mission trips. More flexibility to upro- uproot, to be a part of a, a ministry church, uh, planning effort, or, or mission work. You, you could just go. I had a friend that... Um, I met this week, we had a uh, Missouri Baptist Convention collegiate uh, ministry meeting and connected with this guy and literally uh, Monday night tagged me in a Facebook post from a pastor who was asking, does anyone know any young, single, college age people who would be willing to move to Chicago to help us plant micro churches? And he tagged me in it. Not because of the fact that I'm young, don't, I'm not, and single, I'm definitely not that. But because he knew my connection to young single people. See, if we decide to do that, that's, there's a lot of people who've got to come into that decision-making process for us to move to Chicago. If you felt the Lord leading you to move to Chicago, which I don't know why you would want to move there, but if you do, the people in Chicago need the Lord. Trust me, I know. There's a lot of Cub fans there. They definitely need Jesus. But you have the freedom and flexibility to move. Think about friends who want to plant a church. You have the freedom and flexibility to move. You have the freedom and flexibility to uproot and go and serve in the mission field. Some of you are about ready to finish a degree, and you could spend two years being paid by the International Mission Board to serve as a missionary, as a journeyman or journeywoman, because you have that flexibility. You also have, as a single person, more flexibility in regards to building community. It's easy for you to have people over to your apartment. It's easy for you to have people over to your house. It's easy for you to build community that married people cannot because at our house, there's a small person who demands constant attention. She says what we must do because she's on a schedule. And our lives are ordered differently. I don't just get to run around like I just do whatever I want often think about when I talk about singleness, Tim Keller, because um, it's always easier to give an illustration of someone else screwing up than yourself. Tim Keller was newly married to his wife. They were living in Wheaton, Illinois. And it, within the first six weeks of being married, he decided, it, Wheaton is a suburb of Chicago, that he was just going to drive into the city, and there were a couple bookstores that he wanted to go to, and um, so he <laughs> took off. Four hours later, he returned to his house as his wife sitting at the kitchen table sobbing her eyes out because this is the mid-80s. There were no cell phones. And she was sure that Tim had been shot and killed. Again, even Chicago, it's not that outside of the reasonable assumption that something bad had happened to him because he did not communicate. He ran off and just did whatever he wanted to do. Some of the young married couples in the room are currently being convicted of this. Notice that I'm looking at this section of single people while I say that so that they don't think I'm 
pointing one of them out. We must be careful not to presume that Paul is knocking marriage because he's not. What he is trying to show us is that those who are single, there is a certain amount of freedom that comes with being single that is not available to those who are married. And the question that faces all of you tonight who are single, who find yourself single, is what are you going to do to leverage your singleness for kingdom causes? And let me just be very clear tonight. Unless you've stood before a minister and pledged under covenantal wedlock that you are going to love, cherish, support, and all of that other good stuff that I do in about 12 minutes, you are not out of the category of being single. You may be talking tonight. You may be dating tonight. You may be engaged tonight. Those are all Western constructs. The Bible never makes an allowance for you either in the category of being single or being in the category of married. There is no gray area where activity can take place. And here's what happens. People get themselves into relationships all the time that are bad, and they settle because they want to get out of this particular situation. And I'm saying tonight, you've got to leverage your singleness. I came to Bible college and this is literally in my notes, so if you want to see it later, you can. I came to Bible college a know-it-all jerk. I surrendered to ministry at the age of 14, and at 16 thought God was calling me to be a pastor, which he has since confirmed, obviously, you know, at 31 and serving as a pastor. I got lots of teaching opportunities that I'm thankful for, and I'm also thankful that they're not recorded. And something happened to me. Um, the third semester that I was in college where I was really awakened to the reality of what it really truly meant to be a Christ follower. I'm not sa- I was not reconverted. I just a, a fresh uh, zeal and desire and love of the Lord was present. And that is where the love of reading and studying the Bible just exploded in my life. The problem, though, that was competing with that is that I still wanted to date, and I couldn't find anyone who was into the Bible like me. They weren't hungry in the same way. I'm not saying they weren't Christ followers, and I'm not saying that they weren't serious about Jesus. I was God had hardwired me and had finally gotten a hold of my heart enough to flip the switch. It went from mediocre Christ follower to... Have you considered these realities? And there was a lot of temptation in Bible college to settle for people who were not zealous for Jesus, who did not have a high commitment to the local church, who were kind of like, yeah, if this works out, I would be okay kind of of being a pastor's wife, which... You can understand why there weren't a whole lot of second dates. One, because I wanted to talk about a lot of things that had nothing to do with whatever the majority of other guys were talking about on their first date. And it was always followed with, started with this line of questioning. And Jessica can confirm this, but I asked her this the first time we went out. Do you feel like God has called you to full-time vocational ministry? Because if he has not, this is going to be a complete and utter waste of time. That's a real good come on line on a date. Hey, baby, I think you're nice, but if you're not committed to doing this full time, this is an utter waste of time. 
yes, I am that socially awkward. Yes, I am that straightforward and blunt. I asked Jeff this question. I have watched my entire adult life people who have a hunger and a desire to serve God with everything they have settle for second-rate mates. And not because they were second-rate people. Because some of you are going, well, well, he's awfully judgmental. God had called them to something specific, and he's called some of you to something specific. And it doesn't just have to be ministry. Because some of you will walk out of here and go, well, it doesn't really matter. He had really high standards because he was going to be a pastor. I'm talking about people who God had uniquely gifted with skill sets and abilities to serve him, regardless of if they were in a pulpit or in a cubicle, who settled for people who weren't really passionate about Jesus, who weren't unwavering in their zeal for God, who didn't look like 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and now are in miserable marriages or are divorced altogether. Because they didn't understand that in their zeal for God and their zeal and hunger for him, that God had lit their hearts aflame for him, and they needed to sprint towards him, and that as they peeked over their shoulders to see who was running in that same direction, he would bring that about, not looking over their shoulders, and there's somebody who's sitting over on the sideline. It's gotten so bad. I love Deepak Rehu. He's a pastor of counseling at... Capitol Hill Baptist Church, wrote a really page-turning book called She's Got the Wrong Guy. A book about people who settle, who find themselves with someone who isn't, have a burning passion, doesn't have a burning passion for the Lord. Here's what my general concern is tonight. My general concern is I think there's a generation of Christians who really believe that once they get married, that's when they will get really super serious about Jesus. And I can tell you that if you're not super serious about Jesus before you get married, you certainly won't be after. Because there are 101 dir direct distractions. And in addition to feeling that's a conviction that comes from the Bible, the fact that the majority of the people who are married in the back of the room are nodding along with me tells me that I'm making a significantly wise point here. Because right now you have a ton of freedom, and if you do not begin to leverage it for kingdom purposes, you never will. Your freedom is not an excuse or opportunity for you to just do whatever you want to do. And sometimes that's the biggest hurdle with singleness is you feel the freedom to just do whatever you want to do like i just do whatever i want to do i don't care don't doesn't whatever i feel like doing your singleness is a gift from god that you only get one crack at and then maybe a second crack at the end of your life but i can trust you with this truth you can trust me with this truth when you get to the back half of your life, you will not have the same energy that you had at the front half. So have you truly seen this as a gift? A lot of you, this is reframing a complete narrative for you. But let's not be naive tonight. We need to talk about benefits, but we also need to talk about the challenges that come from ministry. Is there hope 
to the, some of these challenges. To look at singleness and try to say that there are no challenges or no difficulties is one of the most dangerous lies we can tell. However, to act as if there is no hope and that single people are to be pitied in the midst of challenges is also disastrous and dangerous. So I just want to look at two challenges quickly tonight. One of them very, or both of them very plainly I see, and I'm trying to, uh, there are about a hundred of them here that we can talk about. And by the way, I'll just do this short infomercial to let some of you that are reeling from the first point come back to reality. I have five copies of the book, uh, Seven Myths About Singleness by Sam Albury that I am willing to give to you, but here's the deal. Normally I just give out books. I, I'm done doing that because you guys don't read them. So here's the deal. I've got five copies of this. I will give you a copy. If you come and talk to me, you say, I want that book. I want to read it. Here's the deal. You have six, eight, ten months, whatever, however long it takes you to read it, and you've got to set up a time that we'll go, and I'll buy you coffee, and we'll talk about it. Or if you're a girl, you, Jess will take you to coffee, and you guys can talk about it. Or if you want to come over to the house and have a meal, we'll talk about it. That's the deal. So you get a free book and a free meal or free coffee out of it. You just have to read it and come and talk to me about it. So now that you are all settled in, two challenges that come with being single. Number one, and it's twofold, sex and intimacy. And everybody's like, oh, great. The last person I want to talk about sex with is the pastor. And here we go. There seems to be a vast number of people who long for marriage out of a desire for sex. In our culture, the idea of never having sex is seen as an absolute negative at best in the culture and at worst is downright comedic. Think about it. Uh, the 40-year-old virgin, which I know no one in this room has ever seen. A, com a comedy about someone who would possibly make it 40 years without having sex. Or let's just talk about a TV show, Jane the Virgin, and, and uh, yet again, comedic in its intent, right? How laughable that someone would wait until they're married to have sex. When Christians allow themselves to fall prey to this line of thinking. And I'm going to make the argument tonight that the idea that you get married just so you can have sex is prevalent all throughout Christian circles. I mean, John Acuff famously said, there are tons of young Christians who are begging the Lord not to come back until at least after their wedding night because they cannot die and go to heaven without having sex. It's much funnier when he says it. Probably because he's not making a point in the sermon. We make, th th it's tragic that we think in these terms. And I'm going to make the argument tonight, and I think Scripture does too. When Christians allow themselves to fall prey to this line of thinking, we actually hurt our testimony about Christ. We make Christ less than human when we insist that to miss sex is to miss out. Christ lived 33 years on this planet and never was involved in a romantic sexual relationship. And so to suggest that you are less than or missing out because you don't ever have sex is to make Christ less than human. And I can assure you that that line of theology and reasoning will send you to hell. To claim that Jesus is not truly, fully and truly man and not fully and truly divine is the uh, oldest heresy that exists. And I think we subtly do it when we tell people that if you somehow have to spend your entire life without getting married and never getting to experience sex, that you are less than or you are missing out on something. Christ seemed to do perfectly fine for 33 years on this earth without experiencing that. 
And we denigrate Christ when we make people feel like they're less than for that reason. Further, we begin to blur the lines of what is sexually permissible in a culture because we look to loopholes to validate our lustful desires. The amount of surveys and studies that are taken, and some of you are about to just wig out that I would even say these things, the, the, the amount of surveys and studies that show how many Christians make excuses and, 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 and loopholes for, for things like oral sex or other types of sex that uh, are, are not what we co would consider traditional sex is absolutely appalling because we are looking for every possible loophole. The amount of pornography that is viewed yearly by Christians alone is scary. And what's even scarier is that when I say Christian and the amount of people, I'm not just referring to men because pornography use by women and men is on the rise. The Bible is abundantly clear that sex is reserved inside the covenant bound of marriage between one man and one woman, and that's the only place where you'll experience true joy and intimacy as a result of it. And everything else is an abomination and affront, and people will struggle. And I will make this argument, too, when we talk about intimacy. The Bible is abundantly clear that true intimacy is not only found in the marriage bed. And we do a disservice to people when we try to suggest that the only way you can have true intimacy with anyone is for you to be in a relationship. And our homophobic culture of Christianity that sees any type of male-to-male -male friendship as being some sort of step towards being in a gay relationship or a woman and a woman being close being in a lesbian relationship does a disservice as we continue to push down the bounds of intimacy. Proverbs 17.7 talks about a friend who's there at all times versus a brother who's only there when it's difficult. Friends choose to be there at all times. Brothers have to be there. I will literally leave mid-preaching if I got a phone call about my brother or my sister being attacked. But for a friend, I have to choose to make that move. That's true intimacy. Proverbs 27 verse 9 talks about a friend who gives wise counsel. Some of you have too many ding-dong friends who won't say difficult things to you. Friends allow for wise counsel that can be difficult to hear, but is for your benefit and your good. Proverbs 18.24 talks about a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We know that that's a foreshadowing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he is always there and he's always helping us. So sex and intimacy are not the defining markers of your life, and you can't experience intimacy with other people outside of a marriage bed with a woman or a man, if you're a woman. Some of us need to reframe the way that we think about our friends because our friends are merely acquaintances. We don't have true, true people who truly know us and get us. Second challenge, and I'm, I'm moving quickly because of time, but there's a, another challenge that faces single people, and I, I'm sure it faces some of you even tonight, and that is fitting in the church. Sometimes single people uh, feel like, and I think that they are right to feel this way at times, like they have no place at the church, that, that, that preaching is not directed at them, that ministries don't exist for them. But here's the bottom line. When you come into the church, 1 Corinthians 12, you can go and read this later, 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 20, flies right in the face of this when it talks about every member having a responsibility and every member playing an important part and role in the life of a church. 
single people play an important role in the life of the church and the success of the local church if they will use their singleness as an opportunity to serve the local church. But a lot of them, and yes, I do mean you, sit and take and never serve. If you are truly a part of the body of Christ, if you are truly a covenant member of this church, then you have a responsibility to serve, be involved, be plugged in, look for opportunities in areas where you can serve your local church. Why? Because you have the flexibility to do that. You have the freedom and flexibility to serve in unusual and special ways. And that isn't always isn't always just held by um, when, we, when we gather. You have the freedom to drop everything you're doing to go help someone who's hurting. You have the freedom and flexibility to minister to people in unique ways. The problem that faces those of us who are single, or those of you who are single, I am not single, you are, but are you actually allowing challenges to keep you from truly serving God and leveraging your season of life for his glory? You see a recurring theme here in the application section, right? What are you doing with your singleness? And I'm going to make the argument, once you move in the category of being married, you are once again presented with an opportunity to, to serve in unique and, and specific ways. But you cannot just allow challenges to keep you from serving or for living for God's glory in the midst of your singleness. Sometimes obstacles to serving the Lord present themselves as challenges and we allow them to defeat us because we don't understand the important role that we play. Each one of you, by merely attending and being a part of the life of a local church, are playing an important role in serving the people around you. So, real quickly, flip over to Colossians chapter 3, because what I want to do is, I, I want to, each week that we do this, especially in singleness and marriage, talk about the benefits, and then talk about the challenges, and then bring this home to living the good life. So, first, or Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The bottom line tonight is that each of us has to make decisions about how we will live our lives, regardless of the season that we find ourselves in. And we're going to have to make a decision about are we going to live our life for God's glory or for ourselves? And when we get distracted uh, being single and seeing that as a bad thing or seeing that as a less than category, what that does is pulls us off mission. And I'm going to make the argument next week that 
being too engrossed in your marriage and only caring about your spouse and only caring about your marriage and never thinking about how your marriage is a reflection for God's glory is also sinful. See, again, there are highs and lows to being married and there are highs and lows to being single. How we deal with those directly determines how we're going to live out other areas of our lives. Because guess what? There's highs and lows of going to work. And there are highs and lows of pretty much everything that we experience in life. So sometimes, due to culture, arrogance, brashness of people, their unwillingness to think rationally about a subject, sometimes you'll hear married people say really, really dumb things to single people. And I'm sure you've been on the receiving end of those. Just like if we were to talk about issues of having kids, you'll hear really, really well-meaning people say dumb things about why you haven't started having kids. Singleness is not a death sentence or a bad thing. And in a sex-crazed culture that Christians, again, I'm just so convinced of this, and some of you are like, I wish you would finish. In a sex-crazed culture, I'm convinced that the world is discipling us more than we even realize. Because I hear things. I I hear stories of people talking about their sex lives. It's just abhorrent to God. I just don't know how he's pleased by that. Even married people. I, I just don't understand it at all. And, and then to look down noses at people who are not married as if they are second-class citizens, I think is an affront to a holy God. And I don't know how you can sing about a holy God and then hear from God's word that singleness is a gift and then demean someone for being single. If it is a gift from God, it must be a good gift, even if we don't always understand how it is a good gift. It doesn't make it a good gift nonetheless. Just like suffering. There's Job never experienced in his life is never going to say, you know, I really enjoyed that season of suffering. It was one of the highlights of my life. You know, just it was wonderful. Just I wish I could suffer more. No one walks around. But I do know many people who walk around going that season of suffering God used for his glory and my good to grow me. And, and singleness is not like suffering, but it is in the sense that it is a good gift from God that he uses to grow us. And sometimes to protect us from bad mates. I could tell stories, but we don't have time. Of how God has protected people. And he's still shaping and molding them year to year. That's why some of you have started to see little cards trickle into your residencies where you live. And sometimes you'll see at the end of those cards that I write to you, I'm praying for you that God will grow you into his image regardless of what season of life you find yourself in. Because that's what you should be after. God's glory in your growth, regardless of the season. Let's pray.